Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome everybody to our Sunday service. Good morning. I'm Pat. This is my awesome wife, Lamisha. We lead our youth and family ministry here, and we are excited today. Uh, the title of the message is Rebel. Uh, that'll make sense soon. Uh, but we're really excited to have this message with you guys today. Yeah, so we've been going through the book of Revelation with our teenagers. We've been having a good time. And now we're moving on to chapters two and three. Yes. And we thought it would just be a good idea for us to do it together because we're really, this cha- these chapters are addressing the churches. And we thought we'd address you guys as well. So it's very applicable. And we just thought yep. it would just be a good time to just go through um, these two chapters together. Yeah, these are these chapters are great. You know, as Lamisha mentioned, these are these are kind of the, the letter portion of revelations to these churches and so much that we can learn from. And so really quick recap, just to catch you guys up with where we're at. We only did chapter one, but it's really important to set this <laughs> up, right? The book of Revelation is so mysterious and all these symbols mm-hmm. and all of these things, but it's extremely practical as well. So Revelation was written with two purposes in mind. One was to steal the Christians for martyrdom because they were going to be suffering under uh, Emperor Nero. So it was to get them ready mm-hmm. uh, for that. And the other thing, which is probably a little bit more applicable to us, it was to strengthen them mm-hmm. uh, and to help them resist the temptation to compromise. And so that's something I think we all can we all can use sometimes, yeah. right? Revelation is this really cool book. God refers to himself as the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. <laughs> So he refers to himself as the God of the past, the present, and the future. And as we read Revelation, there's things that are happening in the past, the present, and future, and sometimes all together. So a lot of right brain activity. Try not to look at the book if you read it on your own in such a chronological way. Try to view it as art, right? Don't focus in too much on one brushstroke, but try to zoom out right. to right, see right. the full picture. All right. <laughs> Hope that, hopefully that makes sense. So a little bit of the context. We have John here. He's been exiled to this island of Patmos, right? Represent Patmos. <laughs> yes, he's been, he's been exiled and he's receiving this vision and it's dictated from Christ to John. And he wants John to write this, everything that he's seen while he's exiled on this island. And there's these seven golden lampstands representing these seven churches and their presence in God, meaning that they are legitimate churches that God says, okay, you're a church. So there's these seven golden lampstands. Some thinks it's a, some think that it's a reference to just these seven churches in Asia Minor. Some people think the number seven, which means complete, represents all churches. So church universal. Either way, yeah. still a lot for us to learn. So there's this awesome uh, passage in chapter 3, verse 7. This kind of sets us up because what does revelation mean? Do you remember? What does it mean, Pat? Unveiling uh-huh. and unveiling. So, so this book can really unveil a lot to us. We hope that today is a revelation for us all, mm-hmm. that we can get in touch with the spiritual side of things and really have our eyes open. Yeah. And so in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To get anything out of this book, 
we have to have ears that are willing to hear. A man without ears cannot and will not hear the truth. So until we have ears to hear, that means until we are willing to listen, there's no point in God instructing any of us. So I pray today we all have these ears that are willing to hear. So now we're going to set this up, these chapter two and three, and then we're going to focus on one of the churches, okay? So there's these seven churches, and to each of the churches, Mm -hmm. there's like, it follows the same pattern for the most part. There's an address to the church. There's a self-designation. So Jesus says who he is to them. Then there's an analysis, right? There's the commendation of the church, and there's also (laughs) a rebuke of the church. Mm -hmm. Then there's this exhortation or encouragement. We like that. And then if, yes, we do. And then it finishes with a promise of what is in store for us if we overcome. Sounds like an awesome D time with God, right? You have... Very complete. Yes, an analysis. (laughs) Then you have this encouragement. Then you have, remember the promise, right? At the end of it all. So let's look at what we can learn from the church in Laodicea. So this this is awesome. I, I just wanted to focus on one because... To do all seven would be hard, but I encourage you uh, to look at all seven. And uh, I do believe that uh, this church in particular, I think we in Western society can relate to uh, to the greatest degree. And I think it's the most relevant right now uh, for us. I mean, all of them are super relevant, but I chose this one with that in mind. So we have first the, the address, right, to this church. So in chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right. Right? So you say, okay, we're talking to you guys. We're talking to you as a church. Then we have this part, the self-designation, right? In chapter 3, verse 14. The amen, the faithful and true witness, Mm. the ruler of God's creation. So God chooses his self-designations to be exactly what we need him to be for us. And for each church, he chooses how to refer to himself, specifically based on what they were going through. So, for example... If you're feeling anxious, right? Some of us may be feeling anxious out there. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> but God may introduce himself as the God who is in control of all things and the God of peace says this to you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> if you're being discouraged, if you're discouraged, he may call himself the almighty God who is all powerful and is able to strengthen you. Amen. Let's okay. go. Let's go. <laughs> and if you're scared, you're letting God down, right? I know I can feel like that a lot. He might address himself to you as the God who is merciful, amen, gracious, and compassionate, who will never give up on you. Amen. So how are you doing today? How do you feel? Mm -hmm. What side of God do you feel like you need today? How would God address himself if he were to speak to you? Yeah, yeah. And the first question is, how are you doing? And then you can kind of go from there. Right, right, right. So I think... Even just for me, I think I've been feeling some disappointment in this this year already and just from last year and, you know, so many disappointments like Jacob's first birthday was in quarantine. His second birthday might be in quarantine as well. So that's been kind of disappointing. I think for me, there's a lot of been more self-disappointment and like, you know, I can just feel like I'm not the be- being the best Lamisha I can be, you know, yeah. uh, so I can just beat myself up um, about that. And maybe God would address me like the God of all hope, you know, who is able to do more than you could ever ask and imagine. You know, I need to feel that God can do more than what I'm feeling. He can just do amazing things in my life. 
So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. How are you guys doing? Can you relate to any of that? How will God address you? Mm -hmm. so thank you, Lamisha, yeah. so much. It's been amazing. So I'm going to disappear from this revelation. Oh, three, two, two one. one. Looks like we lost Lamisha. She left the revelation. That's okay. We're still going to go through it together as rebels, all right? So normally, what would come next is a commendation. That's what you see for the majority of the churches. Unfortunately, this particular church did not get a commendation. However, many commentators believe that they were at one point a very hot on fire for God church. And you see that reference in this chapter to, I wish you were either hot or cold, right? We all know that passage, or many of us do. And so this church was on fire at one point, many believe. And then it goes into the rebuke, right? And, and let's read this. Let's read this. And um, the rebuke is, it says, You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. That's pretty, uh, it's a pretty direct <laughs> rebuke, right? So what, what was the issue here? And I think so many of us, we think, oh, man, like having money is oh, so bad and it's so awful and... And that's not really what this is all talking about. And we know, for those of us that have been around for a long time, passages about wealth, we have to read them the right way. So let's get into this. What was their issue? It said they have acquired wealth. Yes, true. But it also says that, and we do not need a thing. Their self-sufficiency had led them to spiritual poverty. This, this pride of I've arrived, I've made it, I'm here, this gr I'm a grinder, I can do it. This is the, the rebuke because they were so used to doing things themselves and making things happen on their own and they were grinders that eventually they're like, ah, you know, God, what purpose do you serve in our life? I don't, they didn't really see their need. They drifted from God because they were so self-sufficient of a city. Now check this out. If you don't believe me, historically, Laodicea was a banking center and a center for medical studies. And there was this powerful earthquake in 60 AD. And when Rome was giving out all this financial assistance to all these neighboring cities, Laodicea didn't need any of the help. They're like, we got this. We're going to rebuild on our own. You know, economically set up, self-sufficient, didn't need anything from anybody. This hustle mentality. This is why I chose this church. I think in Western culture, our culture is very much, let's grind, go get yours, go get those grades, go get that job, make it happen, don't sleep work till you drop. You can sleep when you die. These are the philosophies of Western society, right? And really quick, a common mistake for us when reading this passage is we think this refers to like millionaires or we think that this refers to, uh, you know, upper class, right? But let me, let's put this into perspective a little bit here because we think it's not talking about us. And if you're watching this today, the odds are that it is talking about you as well, all of us. It's because when you compare the wealth that we have here and the self-sufficiency and the economic stability that we have here in the U.S. to the rest of the world, we really are rich. The only other God in the Bible that Jesus refers to by name is the God of money, mammon, right? It's this lousy God that cares nothing for your soul and wants to spit us all out. You know, what are the gods of, of today's world, of, of our culture, right? There's the God of the grind hard mentality, right? Never sleep. There's the, there's the God of the algorithms. 
you know, keep you on this app as long as possible, keep you on Netflix as long as possible, right? The, the app gods, let's call them. There's the big data gods, right? Crunching all of your information and all of your data points to get you to do something, to manipulate you to make a purchase or download something, right? And then there's the consumerism, the God of consumerism. We'll feel better if we buy things. And we might not think of these things consciously, but I think especially in our recent pandemic, I don't know if you feel these forces at work, but I certainly do. You know how hard it is sometimes to tear myself away from my phone? You know how hard it is to, to put my laptop down and stop working sometimes? I mean, these gods, I hear, like, I hear them. I mean, not like I don't actually audibly hear them, but they're definitely present. And I hope you can. I hope you understand and, and and are aware of that battle as well. That you can at least acknowledge that this fight is absolutely real and it is a spiritual battle. And guess what? Following these things, it's not making us any happier. It's not making us any happier. Journalist Greg Easterbrook said, "Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. We have an abundance of everything." except happiness. You know, and I don't want to knock, this isn't a knock on money, right? Because if, if you've ever lived in poverty or if you've known anybody that lives in poverty, that's not, that's not fun. That's not, that, 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 that harms an individual's self-esteem, everything, right? And if you work with people that deal with poverty, it's horrible. And so money can help to a degree. Right? And there's actually a study done to figure out to what degree can money help? And this is a, a landmark study in Princeton University. Your overall well being, this is what they found your overall well being will rise with income, but only to 75,000 combined household income. So your emotional well being, from a financial standpoint, is as good as it gets at $75,000 a year for a household. And that changes based on where you are in life. Like if you're living this, uh, a single life, it's less, a campus is less. It's, you have to, it, this is a national average, this study. You know, so what does this mean? Once we reach what we kind of define as middle class, we're not gonna get any happier based on finances. That's the point at which this study discovered that it kind of, that's the point at which money can help you, right? But yet, we don't know, we're not good at knowing when to stop in Western culture. Because why? There's these gods that, that exist, you know, so-called gods that are telling us, keep grinding, keep working, you gotta do better than the next person, right? Someone's gonna take your job if you don't keep going. And for the teens, you know, you guys, you guys might not think this applies, you're like, ah, I'm nowhere near making any kind of, any of the numbers you threw out, Pat, uh, these are not relevant for me but it does apply to you because this keeping up mentality absolutely is a part of your world. How to, how to stay relevant, how to stay you know, on people's screens, how to you know, wanna be somebody. I think we all suffer from that and I know you guys as teens also suffer from that. You know, your reputation, all of those things. Campus, you guys might feel like, well, I don't have a job yet, this can't apply to me. Well, let me ask you do, you, do you worry about your future a lot? Do you worry about your career, your major, what job you're going to have? You know, do you suffer as you try to do these all-nighters and get good grades? Does your mental health suffer? 
Do you compare yourself to the other students around you and you know people are sharing their test scores and someone's like, oh yeah, I got like an A plus and you're like, oh okay, well let me go ask somebody else what they got. You know, do you work yourself to the bone? I think we've all bought into the lie that we need to achieve to be happy, that we want to, self-sufficiency is the ultimate goal in life, right? And I get it, we don't want to be like a burden to other people, I understand that. But the ultimate goal is not that, it's, it's being with God, right? But I think at some point or another, we've bought into this lie as a, as a culture. And it's hurting us. This kind of thinking hurts your soul, hurts our soul. And I'm preaching to myself, guys, as I'm sharing this stuff with you. And think about it. If you don't think it hurts you spiritually, this mentality, how many of us have decided not to serve in some way because of our job, because of the limitations of our job? How many of us have not been active in our ministry because of our college pursuits? It's just, there's just too much work to do. There's too many projects. There's too many things to get done. How many of us have not spent meaningful or consistent time with God because they're so stressed out from work or school? How many of us are never available to really you know, meaningfully interact with a brother or sister because we're too busy or too stressed? I'm not talking about like, okay, one-off situations and here and there. Obviously, we have to kind of manage things as they come. I'm talking about you know, more of a chronic more of like, this is just this is just happening. It just feels chronically stressful. You know, balancing all of this and the church schedule and this and that, right? So what does that mean sometimes? What does that really mean? It's not just about, can I go to church? Can I serve? Sometimes we're just too busy to love. We can be too busy to just follow the scriptures. Because this grind hard mentality is destroying our souls. Right? So we're like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. I can't help out. I can't love. Our pace is so frantic that we can't stop and take a moment, you know, to show love because we, and I, I'm there with you guys. It's like, what's the next thing I got to get to? What's the next thing I got to get done? Right? We can be too busy to be disciples. And this is a spiritual attack that's going on. And this is what we can rebel against. This is where we can be rebels right? And if this is us, if this is you, then we're lost. If we're too busy to love, if we're too busy to love God, we're lost. You know, we can, we can fall, this is, we can fall away this way, being too busy to love people. And if we serve these gods, the gods of, of grind hard and work hard and, and make it, right? You will never be enough. You'll never feel like you're really enough. You'll always need more. You know, if we're serving our teachers and our grades and our and academics and careers, you'll never be enough. You won't feel happy, like blessed kind of happiness. And this isn't a sermon in case anybody, you know, would accuse me of saying, well, Pat, you're trying to say people should be irresponsible. I'm not. I'm not saying be irresponsible. Honor God, you know, with the things that you have. But as you worrying and being anxious and not having time for your family, not having time for your brothers and sisters in Christ, not having time to love, not having time to spend time with God, does that honor God? No, there's a point where it stops honoring God. So yes, let's honor God with our work and whatever we do. But remember what it means to honor God with it. Not just what the world says it looks like 
to honor God, right? It's about, this is more a sermon about what do you worship? Because what we worry about is often what we worship. So what do you spend time worrying the most about? That might be an idol in your life. You know, the, the Laodiceans, they, they worshiped their self-sufficiency, their economic prosperity, and it took them away from God. And guess what? You don't have to have a dime to worship money. It's free. It's free to worship money. You could be dead broke and worship achievement. Right? So this isn't about whether or not you have a lot of money or you has more money. It's like, it's not a guilt trip. You could be broke and worship achievement. Right? So this is something for all of us because this is a very cultural Western thing. So how does worshiping money look like today? Non-stop grinding, lack of sleep, anxiety over school and career, depression when you're not working, no sense of value outside of your educational and career pursuits. That's what worship of money can look like. Feeling like you're not enough until you've reached certain bars, right? And this idolatry, guys, it has to stop. It has to stop. It's going to kill our souls. And I know we all feel this, but sometimes it feels like it's too hard to break the cycle. But guess what? There is a way out. There's a way out. And we're going to read that in verse 19. And this is the encouragement that Jesus is, is telling John about. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God's calling us back to a relationship with him. To spend time, right? He's like, if I'm knocking, let me in. I'll eat with you. I'll spend time with you. If we're rushed, if we're constantly going, 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 how are we going to make time to eat with God? Right? It's, it's this, I love that he's bringing us back to like a meal, like a dinner table. Think about that, that scene of just a dinner table. Everything's nice. It's ready. There's no rush. You're just spending time. You get this scene of uh, hospitality, right? Spending time with God calls us back. That's the repentance to a, a relationship, to spending time together with him. You know, we can have true contentment in this life with a, through a relationship with Christ, but it requires an earnest repentance, right? It says, be earnest and repent. And that's our way out is through repentance. And the repentance I would argue that is needed most is for us to be a little bit more rebellious against the patterns of the world, to be rebels against what the world says you have to do. If you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everybody had to worship this big statue at a certain time in the day. And when everybody bowed down to worship, they were standing up. They were standing tall. They were rebels against what the world expected them to do. And we need to be rebels against what our world expects us to do. How do we do that? I have a couple thoughts. I think living simply, taking a Sabbath, resting, right? Making, connecting with God your priority. These are all things that the world will not accept when you try. Like imagine you say, hey, I'm not really doing anything. I'm taking a rest to connect with God. It's like, wait, what? What are you doing? Like, that's weird. You know, imagine like you prioritize your quiet times and all these demands and you're like, hey, I'm having a quiet time. And these things aren't really socially acceptable, right? 
And to live simply certainly isn't. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, you see, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. How was Paul able to say that if we have food and clothing, we're going to be content with that? If we have those two things, that's all we need. We're content. It's because he had a relationship with Jesus that was so fulfilling. So it just filled up his life. And we can have that as well. We have to reprioritize God in thought and in action. And what is your number one priority right now? Like actually. Not just like what you think or you know what you would like for it ideally, but actually. Like if you were to ask somebody that knows you, hey bro, what do you see as like my number one priority in life right now? What do you think they would say? It's okay to be open about that. I struggle with this too. Like I'm a, yes, I'm a minister, but I can certainly focus on the work of the ministry rather than who I'm working for in the ministry, who is God. And I got to be open about that. I got to be honest about that because that's a strong temptation for me. You know, living simply, it doesn't mean to live negligently, right? It doesn't mean to live without drive. It's kind of decluttering our lives to promote the things that we value most and to remove the things that distract us from what we value most. Think about Jesus. You can tell he valued his relationship with God and you can tell he valued people. And he prioritized those things. You know, he didn't have a ton of things that he was always kind of taking care of, but he was able to leverage anything that he had to, to, to live the life of what he valued. You know, I have to lift up Kyle Devlin. Uh, Kyle's a great friend of mine. And he told me recently that he actually took a, a role demotion intentionally. Like he decided that because he wanted to be more emotionally available. That takes courage because the world doesn't accept that. That doesn't make sense in our Western culture. Like why would you take a kind of demotion or a role uh, demotion, right? But for him and for us as Christians, we got to remember what are we prioritizing? Right? Is it better to be more emotionally available or to work harder and make more money? And sometimes we just go along with the flow. And so that takes a lot of courage. It inspires me. Let's ruthlessly get rid of the things that take us from our relationship with God. Take an inventory. Think about what are the things that take you from your relationship with God. When we simplify our lives and we can live more intentionally, you know, unless frantically, we're really going to have greater peace, be able to spend more time with people, be able to love people to a greater degree. Once again, teens, you guys might feel like, ah, oh, this doesn't apply to me. You guys are marketed to so heavily. Like I feel for you guys because I feel the pull to go on my apps and stuff. And I can't imagine between apps and video games and everything else. And I'm not anti-app. I'm not anti-video game. You guys know that. I just know that so many things are competing for your attention. And you're going through a lot with high school being so different and Zoom and everything else. But think about the moments that you treasure most as a teen. Think about those moments you remember the most. I bet a lot of those times are just spending time with your friends, right? And yet we let all these things come in that keep us from spending time, you know, with our friends. But we can rebel against that. Get together with somebody virtually or in person. I, I love Dylan and Jason. They're always texting me to, to figure out how we can like link up, let's go play basketball, let's, let's jump on a game together. It, they, they, they understand that doing things together 
is what creates a lot of incredible memories. You know, for campus, listen, you, can't, you guys may not want to hear what I have to say. It took me six years to graduate. Um, I was a mess. I was a smart person, but I just never really applied myself. So please, yes, apply yourselves. Um, but if your academic pursuits are taking you away from God or the fellowship, it is time to reevaluate. And, and hear me out. Hear me out. Because I know you guys deal with a lot of pressure. And, um, and I can definitely empathize. I remember that. It's, it's, all, it's so hard to keep up with everything. <laughs> you know, and as, but as demanding as the church schedule sometimes you know, may feel, let's not get it twisted, though. Let's not, let's not act like your, your college or your job, like they, that they really care about your spiritual well-being. Because they don't. And those schedules are far more demanding. Than, than church. Like it doesn't even come close, but it's it's acceptable in society, those demands. Everybody else is doing it, so it doesn't seem weird. But then when church comes up, now that's weird because not all my friends are doing that, right? But they don't they don't care. These gods, these things that you're serving, they don't care. Mental health is rampant. Mental illness is rampant on campuses right now. Why is that? It's because they're abusing you guys spiritually. They're abusing you guys spiritually, and that should make you a little mad. You should get a little bit indignant about that. But let your indignation help you to see that no one is going to advocate for your spirituality more than you. And you might need to rebel a little bit to put God first as you're going through college. One in three college students reported having mental illness diagnosis while in college. Yet despite these increase in statistics and numbers... 13% of community colleges, as an example, have psychiatric services for students. They're not, they don't care. They haven't even invested in these psychiatric services. I mean, on average, right? And yet we serve them. And yet we will we'll do whatever, we'll break our back. We'll ruin our mental health for them. We got to rebel against this. We have to go back to God. They do not care about you, your spirituality. Stop serving them. And I know that it weighs on you guys how much school costs and how much, you know, maybe your parents have helped out with it and you put all this pressure on yourself. But listen, let the pressure go. Let the pressure go. Don't let Satan win. Don't let the God of achievement claim your soul. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 11 says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And look, Solomon's not in a great place when he wrote this, but I believe as I read uh, Ecclesiastes, I feel a lot of peace because I think we're so far on the other side of the spectrum of grind hard, grind hard, that when I read Ecclesiastes, at least it can help me get back to center a little bit before I let those other voices come in and make me go off the rails again, right? And if God grants you success, Amen. If God gives you these amazing jobs and these awesome things and a lot of money, awesome. Guess what we can do with that? We can leverage those things to love, to, to, to have a kingdom dream, to dream about how to make this kingdom incredible. You know, God has given us all these gifts to be able to use to, to, to really fortify his kingdom. And that gets me excited to think about that, to have kingdom dreams. What's your kingdom dream? How do you want to help the kingdom? And lastly, this finishes with a promise in verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, 
just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. When we do this, we're going to be given the incredible privilege of sitting on the throne right next to God himself. Think about that. We get to sit on a throne next to God himself. Does that compare with anything that this world can give you? It's actually kind of dumb when you think about it, to chase the things of this world or, or allow ourselves to be swept up with that. But we have a crown in heaven that's waiting for us. Nothing matters besides this. I want to be open. We all need help. I need help with this. I'm working on this. I'm a hard worker. I'm a grinder. And I've been very convicted by the way that I've been living. It's not how it was meant to be. This grind hard mentality. This non-stop working. It's not how I was meant to live my life. And I've been very convicted. I want to, I want to recommit. I want to commit to God. And I can say, oh, it's for the ministry. It's for God. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the grind hard gods that are whispering in my ear. Everything in this world is geared towards us working really hard and comparing ourselves and leaving us empty. But we can be victorious if we can lay down this cultural sin. If we, if we, can, if we can kill this idol that's in our lives, put it to death. And that's going to take time. And we're going to need each other. I'm going to need you. We're going to have to create a culture of this where we can talk about this, where it's not so sensitive to, to talk about these things, right? And why is it so sensitive? It's because these gods are strong and they're powerful. We got to be able to talk about this and create this culture. It's not going to happen overnight, but we can start talking about it and we can start helping each other. And ultimately, I want to encourage us all to, to help each other find the pace and the rhythms of Christ. Jesus moved slow. He moved deliberately. I don't ever see him rushing and he was full of love. Let's all rebel together against what the culture says we need to do. Love you guys. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.